This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. I want to um, jump into the message that God has put on my heart to share with you this morning. Uh, Like I said, we have been in a marriage conference over the last couple of days. And I fully understand that not everybody uh, was able to make it to this conference, and it could be because of various reasons. And it doesn't matter. Uh, I hope you can attend next year. It was amazing. It's awesome. And I know that it'll be a blessing for you next year. Next year, if you want to go ahead and put it down in your calendars, it's going to be on February 14th and 15th, okay? So... Just go ahead and put it in your calendars right now so you don't forget, and we'll have the same conference next year. It's a marriage conference that we have every single year, uh, and I'm excited about that. But I am kind of wrapping up uh, our version of the conference today uh, by sharing a message that God has put on my heart. Uh, I still remember, uh, it was nine years ago when, um, when Sonia and I, sorry, not nine, sorry, 11 years ago, <laughs> when Sonia and I were... <laughs> For planning a wedding, uh, you know, I, I, had to, I had to see a reaction, but uh, we were planning a wedding, and uh, we were like in the, in the thick of it, and uh, we knew that we wanted to get married, I'd proposed to Sonia in a, in a very extravagant way. I made a fool of myself by uh, renting out a grand piano and asking them to bring it to a park, uh, and uh, literally uh, learned a song. I don't know how to play the piano, but I went to YouTube and I learned a song to play to her on that day. And uh, she came in and, uh, man, I was stunned by her beauty. I forgot how to sing. I forgot how to play. And the grand piano just sat there. And I was like, Sonia, you want to play? Because you obviously know how to play the piano. And I could try to sing. So, uh, but it was awesome. We, we you know, had a great proposal and we were planning for the wedding and we were like looking at months uh, and uh, with the different months that came up, Sonia had this really, uh, you know, amazing desire, which is totally understandable, of wanting a summer wedding. Every girl wants a summer wedding where, you know, it could be outdoors. She first wanted a beach wedding, and, and that didn't happen. Our parents really shot that down. So uh, they, they said, no, let's not do that. Let's keep it local. So she said, okay, let's have a summer wedding. Now, for me, I didn't care about a summer or a winter wedding. Now, and I kind of want to just clarify what I mean by that. Like, if you're a Christian man in ministry uh, and, and you're saving yourself for marriage, you really don't care about a summer or winter wedding. Okay, you really don't. You just want to say your I do's, okay, and you want to leave on your honeymoon, all right, if you know what I mean, okay? That's, I don't care if it was July or February. If February came first, we were going to do it in February. And I pulled a, I'm the man card, and uh, I'm the head of the home card, and even though you shouldn't, I know now, but... Uh, <laughs> Well, we decided on February 22nd, and this February 22nd, we will celebrate 10 years of marriage. Um, and um, thank you. And it's one of the best decisions I've made after following Jesus, uh, and, and uh, I, I thank God for that. Uh, but in and through all the decisions that we've made, and there are people that have been married for longer than we have uh, seated over here. There are people that are newly married. 
there are people that have probably been married at one point of time, and uh, you probably are divorced or were divorced, you got remarried. Uh, you're probably in a season of your life where it's just confusing. You don't know if you should say single or you should get married. Uh, there, there could be different seasons that you're walking through in your life, but the feeling of love and the understanding of love is something that uh, every human being can identify with. Uh, falling in love and you know being in love is one of those emotions that uh, human beings go through in some season of life or the other whether it be the traditional way of um, you know of, of courtship of you know what happened in the former years or dating or how people meet nowadays online or if you ask my father and my mother uh, they met um, they met one day and uh, it was what they call in India an arranged marriage and uh, the families kind of found the, the bride and the groom and said, hey, there's this awesome match for you. Do you want, you want to meet this, this guy or this girl? And my dad and mom said, yeah, let's meet. And they went into a room and they got to know each other for a little bit. And they said, hey, my dad made up his mind as soon as my mom walked into the room. He said that I just saw her flowing hair and I saw her beautiful, stunning hair. And she, he said, at that moment, I knew I want to get married to her. So um, my mom's version of the story was way different than that. But whatever the case may be, you know, years, years and years later, they're still married and they're happily married. And there are other people that uh, just fall in love in such organic ways and, and you're still so committed to each other. But in the process of love, there, there are seasons that we probably made a fool of ourselves, like I did, renting out a grand piano into a park to propose to my, my girlfriend then to say, hey, would you be my wife? But there are crazy things that we do for love. But in the course of time, uh, love has this way of getting lazy. And we have a way of getting lazy, and we take love for granted. We take the people that we love for granted. And I, and I want to challenge us today. It's, it's so important to work on things that matter to you. Is there any other area in your life that you can afford to be lazy and still see improvement in? But somehow we magically see that or think that we don't need to do work in marriage or we don't have to work in marriage and still see improvement in marriage. Whether it be your own body, if you don't uh, do the work, if you don't go to the gym, if you don't stay active, you're not going to see your body improve or you're not going to lose weight or you're not going to be fit or it could be your business. If you don't work on your business, if you don't hustle every day, if you don't work those hours that you need to work and put in the work that you need to do, you're not going to see improvement. It could be the same with, you know, with, with, with your home. Like, it could be your yard. Some people love their yards, and if they don't work on their yards regularly, it's going to go to weeds. Like, people understand that. But so many of us give up on marriage because we don't have what it takes to keep running. That's like saying you have a car, and if you don't have the money to fill gas, you just sell your car. No, you do, that's not what you do. Instead of finding a job or going and getting the money or finding the resources to actually fill gas, you don't just sell your car, but a lot of people sell their marriages off, they quit on their spouses, they quit on their husbands, quit on their wives. Some of them, some of us live like roommates, some of us don't care. We live for the children. Why? Because we just don't want to put the work into it. Like, why do we take a covenant that we make before man and God so lightly when God's idea is marriage? I kind of want to go to the book of Genesis today. See, Genesis is the first book in the Bible that explains relationships the best. It teaches us a lot about relationship. It, it explains why God created the world. Why God created you and me. And the reason was because he wanted to have a relationship with us. 
Genesis explains as to why we don't have a relationship with God. And in one word, that word is sin. Because we fell short and we walked away from God. Genesis also explains to us why we have issues in our relationships with one another. See, in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter number one is this image of perfection. God creates the world. He takes six days to create every part of this beautiful world that he creates. He creates man. He creates the animals, the, the waters and the seas and light and darkness and all the living beings on earth. And then on day seven, he rests. This idea of perfection. God looks at his creation. He loves it. He says, this is great. This is amazing. And he pauses. We're going to talk about that very soon, about the Sabbath, as we continue in our gospel, the gospel according to Matthew. But in Genesis 2, there's this entire narrative which ends with, and Adam and Eve were naked and felt no shame. In Genesis chapter number 3 is where everything starts going south. In Genesis 3 and verse 1, the Bible says this. I'm going to read this verse, and then I'll introduce the sermon uh, subject to you guys. In Genesis 3 and verse 1, this is what the Bible says. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? I want to pause there real quick. We're going to go through this, uh, a few verses in this chapter, at least till verse 6 or 7. But we, we get this idea of Satan planting mistrust in the hearts of God's creation. One of the biggest tools that the enemy uses is planting mistrust in the hearts of us as human beings. Our inability to trust people, our inability to trust one another did not start yesterday because of the pain that you went through yesterday. Or, the heart that was, or your heart that was broken by somebody yesterday. That's not where it all started. It started back in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve were challenged with this vice of the enemy that was thrown at them of trusting or not trusting. See, what we got to understand is discernment is from God, but mistrust is from the enemy. God gives us discernment to say, think between right or wrong, but there's sometimes we, we, we have mistrust in our hearts, so the lack of trust comes from our inability to not just trust God, but trust other people, is often the work of the enemy to bring it into our hearts and speak into our minds and speak into our hearts and speak over our emotions and speak over our spirit. The Bible says the serpent was the shrewdest. You know what the Bible describes Satan as? He is, the, the Bible says that. It says be sober and be vigilant because the enemy is like a, what? A roaring lion that is wandering around waiting to what? Devour. Now that's not an image of, godliness that's not an image of unity that's not an image the, the plan of the enemy from day one was deception was to tear apart was to separate was to rip apart that which god had put together so if you see things in your life falling apart it could be a personal life it could be a marriage it could be a relationships it could be a job it could be a career remember that god's idea is always to bring together it's unity but when things start falling apart you got to catch the drift I want to title my message, The Great Bait. The Great Bait. You know, fishermen understand what a bait is. I mean, I, I'm just not a fisherman, but anybody sitting over here, you know what a bait is. When you go fishing, I love fishing. And when you go fishing, there are different types of hooks. 
There's a hook that you call as a worm hook, and a worm hook is specifically designed for those of you who fished, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's designed in a very unique way where you thread the, the worm or the fake worm, as it were. It's a rubber worm, as it were. You, you, you thread it onto this hook that goes and hides itself. The hook hides itself in the bait. And when this lure or when this bait is presented to the fish, the way that it's presented is critical to the fish either biting this bait or not biting this bait. You got to understand the role of the enemy oftentimes is to present baits in the best possible way for Christians to bite. That's all he cares about. He will work copious amounts of time. He will go work overtime. He will work time over time. And he, he, he's not going to relent. He's not going to give up because he understands the better he can present it to you, the easier you will bite. And yesterday's bait is not today's bait. Like if you go into, into Walmart today and go into the bait section or the, the, tackle, to the tackle section, you will see that, that the, the stuff that's out today is not what was out yesterday. Like they are constantly, manufacturers are constantly introducing new stuff with new colors because they understand, they've come to the point where they're trying to learn fish psychology. Like think about this, like the enemy is sitting, sitting aside and literally studying your every move. He looks at how you handle situations. He's looking at how you go through stuff in your, in your everyday life. He's looking at how you handle stuff when you watch it on television and how you are prone to looking at stuff more and how quick you are to change some stuff and how quick you are not to change some stuff, how quick you are to admonish some things and how quick you are to entertain some things. I wish you could understand this and, and fish will bite at a bait first. It's not a, you, you'll never find a fish that goes unless it's like super hungry and hasn't eaten for ages. It won't just go and blow, boom, no. It will nibble. That's what fish does. Just because you're a Christian, you're not void of temptation. You're not devoid of temptation. Temptation's not like, oh, I got to keep away from him. No, no, no. It's going to come. But the Christian is careful enough. Like, we have brains. God has created us with beautiful intellect. And because we have intellect, we play around with bait. And that's what we do. Like, fishermen will ask one another, anything biting? And that's because fish try to bite and you'll feel the tug on the lure. You'll feel the tug on the string, on the, uh, you know, on, on the, and, and you understand that how the fisherman presents the bait is so critical if he will get a bite or not. And the enemy is working overtime, day after day, to present certain baits in our life. And I'm talking to marriages. I'm talking to young people. Do not fall for the, the bait of the enemy that he presents to you in different ways. I want to talk this morning about how Satan presents his bait. And a couple of things, three points that I want to talk to you about. But verse number two, the Bible says this. Of course, and Eve is answering and talking about this and saying, of course, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, the woman replied. And God said, you must, God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Like, like as, as Christians, let us accept and understand that God has certain parameters and certain boundaries that he draws around us. And it's not for our destruction. It's not because he doesn't want us to enjoy life or have good things in our life. It's because he wants to protect us. Someone say protect us. I think it was uh, G.K. Chesterton who said, don't ever take down a fence until you know the reason it was put up in the first place. 
It's important. Don't, don't just walk around, go around tearing down fences. Don't go around tearing down boundaries. Don't go around tearing down walls that God has built around you. And we're living in some treacherous and dangerous times in our culture where people are the, the, the bat of an eye. They, they just want to go and they want to tear down stuff. And they're like, oh, this is cool. We live in a woke culture that celebrates tearing down then building up. And it's in this time and age that we as Christians and believers need to wake up and open our eyes into saying we got to preserve certain boundaries. We got to preserve certain walls and some fences around our kids and our families because it is critical. God knows that there are some things that will destroy you. Don't assume that the desires of your heart are God's desires. As a Christian, don't just assume that. Your, your heart naturally points to your desires, not God's desires. You desire something and then you ask God, God, can, can, can I do a heart check right now? Am I, am I talking to somebody? This, this, it's, it's normal. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, take this cup of suffering away from me, but not my will, but your will be. Every Christian is tasked with the, your, it is a duty of saying, God, I know that this is my desire. This is what I want, but I want to know what you think. I got to go on. But here's Satan's, Satan's response. You ready? He's about to twist the truth. Verse 4. You won't die. The serpent replied to the woman. Like he's pretty confident. And he's like, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, I want to pause there for a second. And I want to say, see, Satan wasn't blatantly lying. Like Satan was not telling the whole truth right? He says that you will certainly not die. Like he's, he's kind of saying the truth. He's like, no, you're not just going to like have a physical death right now, but, but he knows what he's talking about because your relationship with God will start dying. Come on, am I talking? Your relationship with one another will start dying. Your relationship with his creation will start dying. So everything that God has created is going to be jeopardized because somebody is going to make a wrong decision. I want you to listen to me. And the pull was this, and you will be like God. Satan says, man, God is trying to keep you away from good things. Like imagine what it would be like. Like Lucifer is like, man, I didn't get it, so I'm going to pull everyone with me into destruction and disaster. That's what he wants. So he presents the same thing. And Satan says, man, God is trying to keep you away from fun things, from good things, from love, from romance, from all this good stuff. But here's a tragedy. The tragedy was that she was already like God. Like, like, do we pause to understand that when God created man, he created them in his own image and in his own likeness and in and, and the way... Th the enemy convolutes the true message. And some of us need to understand this. You are created perfect. You are created as God intended you to be. With all your quirks, with all your good th things, all your bad, you were created as the best version of yourself. Refuse to allow media or a person or an individual or a bully at school or anybody to tell you who you are and who you're not. I don't know if you didn't say an amen to that. I don't know what you're going to say an amen to. And Satan's like, man, you're missing out. And he was like, really? Am I really missing out? Is there more to my relationship than there is presently, than what I'm going through? Like, like, can I tell somebody today, like couples, God has given you everything, 
And I'm not, let's not exclude, God is all-knowing. When he gave you your husband and when he gave you your wife, he gave you everything that you needed in that person. But pastor, what about that thing? That thing too. Trust me, that thing too. And he gave you the grace to be able to handle all those things. And, and here's the thing, verse 5. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. She was drawn to the idea that evil might be this thing that God doesn't want me to see. And she is tempted to look up even though God has asked her not to do so. But, here's the thing. Eve knows the truth. But in a matter of a couple of verses, she goes from being convinced. Ooh, you got you to gotta understand this. Because she answers. In verse number four, she says, uh, in verse number three, he, she says, uh, two, of course, we may eat of any of the fruits of the garden. Of course. Someone say, of course. That's certainty. Eve is certain. Someone say, Eve is certain. She is confident. She says, God said. Come on, am I talking to somebody? And something happens, verse 4 and verse 5 and verse 6. Something just switches. And the woman was convinced. Verse 6. In verse 3, she was convinced that God told her something. But it's amazing how falsehood and lies have a bigger power over the truth sometimes. As humans, we tend to gravitate towards the lies of the enemy and what the enemy wants us to believe about ourselves rather than what God told us about ourselves. The woman was convinced is what the Bible says. She saw that the tree was beautiful, its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted, someone say wanted, the wisdom it would give her. Who convinced her? The devil convinced her. It's not that you don't know the Bible. It's not that I don't understand the word of God. It's not that the word of God did not transform me or change me. It's not that I did not respond to the word of God and God baptized and saved and transformed. It's, not, it's none of that. Eve knew it. She, she even regurgitated it to the enemy and said, let me preach to you. But yet the enemy had a foothold where he said, even though you know, let me try to prove you otherwise. No matter how strong of a Christian you are, you might have been the first creation. You might have been the best that God created. You might know the truth for what it is. But let me tell you, when the, the, the sin finds its power, when it convinces us that we will feel good when we yield to it. Like the temporary pleasure, the temporary rush that will satisfy us for the moment, but it eats away at our heart, making us less susceptible to God. That's what sin is. Can I give you three things? Three ways in which you and I, just like Eve, bite the bait. This great bait, this great lure that the enemy just presents to you. Somehow we find that we keep yielding to it. We keep submitting to it. And the first thing is this. The first point is this. How do we bite the bait? We bite the bait because 
Satan convinces us to reach for things that we don't need. The Bible says Eve was convinced when she thought it would give her something she didn't have. Like, is there anybody here? Has someone convinced you to get something that you didn't really need? Timu does that to me all the time. Yeah. It's, like, it's only $2. I'm going to give you 50% off just for today. It was the same price yesterday. They're just increasing that percentage. Don't fall for it. But you're like, I could use this. It came in five months ago. You haven't touched it as yet. Adam and Eve had everything in the garden. I want you to listen to me. Eve was the most beautiful woman that day. Adam was the hottest man alive. Nothing to compare them to. He was GQ man of the year and she was Mrs. Universe. All right, they had food, they had love, they had intimacy, they had protection, yet the, they felt the need to reach out to explore what they didn't have. Why? Because of a voice that they heard that told them, there is something more. There is something else. You know what I call it? I call it the Simba quest. That's what I call it, the Simba quest. Remember when Mufasa stands by Simba and says, Simba, he takes him to the mountaintop, looks to the yonder, the, all the kingdom, and he, he makes him stand there and he says, he says, Simba, one day you will be king. Everything the light touches is our kingdom. And one day it's going to be yours. And Simba says, whoa. And then Simba walks to the right and he looks over the shadowy place and he looks at dad and says, what about that shadowy place? And Mufasa says, that's Houston. You should never go there, Simba. Never go there, Simba. <laughs> I did. I had to drink that water. She got me there. I got my bride from Houston, y'all. <laughs> but Simba looks at dad and says, I thought a king can do whatever he wants. And guess what? Mufasa looks at him and scorns him, like, like laughs it off. And he says this, there's, there's more to being a king than getting your way all the time. Eve wanted the wisdom it would give her. Eve wanted something from this fruit that somebody else promised to her. And, and she was like, maybe there's something that God has been withholding from me. Many times the things that destroy us are the things that we bring under our possession that we didn't need in the first place, y'all. Come on, am I talking to somebody? That promotion that we shouldn't have said yes to. That job that we shouldn't have left the other job for. That relationship that you shouldn't have gotten to, even though you knew that they were, you were not equally yoked with them. The amens kind of went down. Come on, you got to say, Pastor, preach, Pastor. The thing that would destroy my marriage is emotional or physical intimacy with anyone that is not my wife. And I got to remind myself day after day that. And not just anyone, anything that is not my wife. Many men reach out to see what it would be like to be someone other than the usual. 
Just the, just the what, what does it feel like? And the thing that will destroy my relationship with my children is unrealistic expectations from them. Even when I know what their present capabilities are, I still push them and push them and push them because I want them to be successful, yet not knowing that, hey, God has created them, created them this way and I want them to be something prematurely. But a lot of our kids go through depression and a lot of our kids go through anxiety Come on, I need some of us to wake up today. Because we're reaching, man. Everybody is reaching. And we're trying to reach for things that are not, in, there's a reason that it's not in your reach. But culture says hustle. Culture says go. Culture says push. We need to stop being attracted to things we don't need at all. We don't need that car. You don't need that house. You don't need that promotion. I meet young men all the time. Man, I need the perfect woman. I'm going to wait till I get the perfect woman. Like every guy wants a 10, but bro, you're a 3. Like, <laughs> like seriously. You know what I'm saying? Like, we create a culture of keeping up with the Joneses. Not only do we have to reach, but when we do reach, we cause other people to reach too. Other people are like, man, he can do it. Man, he did. Like, like they have no idea the, the sleepless nights you went through. They have no idea the anxiety that you're going through to actually reach that particular thing. They have no idea the consequences of that reaching that you're doing, but it looks glamorous to them. So somebody else joins the party. Verse 6, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Can we talk for a second here? Adam stands right there and watches everything crumble away. He's like, oh man, I don't want to fight with my wife. Like, we're in a honeymoon stage. We just got married. Like, at the altar, the pastor said, oh man, the woman's always right. So, I guess, I, I guess she's right. I, I, I guess we just got to just go with the flow. I guess I just got to follow right now. I don't want to cause any conflict in this marriage right now. Can I talk to somebody? Stop reaching for more things without stewarding the things that you already have. I need to encourage somebody. Like, some, like, like sometimes when one person goes rogue, the other person's just got to get up and be like, like, come on. Get to your senses already. Sometimes when I say crazy things, I have Sonia to humble me back down to earth and say like, come on, let's be reasonable. Stop reaching for more things. Oh, but Pastor, the grass is greener on the other side. Look at what they have. Are you watering your own grass? Maybe your grass is not green because you forgot to water it for like three months. But why do we reach? Because we have, some of us have unmet needs. And I need to ask some, some spouses today. I need to ask some husbands today. I need to ask some, some wives today. Are you really meeting the needs of your spouse? Can we talk about this for a second? Like security is a woman's mega need. It's a foundational need. Men, is she secure about, around you? Oh yeah, I have, I have a house, I have a great job. Like, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. Like, does she know her place around you? Does she know 100% what you think about her? Does she know how valuable she is to you? Does she know that you're not going anywhere 
Does she know that she fulfills every single thing that you need? That's what I'm talking about. Communicate that you care for your wife above anyone else or above anything else. Above your job. Above your children. Yes, above your children. Above the success that you have. Above the business ventures. Above the dreams and above the ambitions. And above the hobbies and above the television. And above the gaming and above all of that. Is he convinced that, that she is the, like, like, like she convinced that she is the center of your world and that your eyes are, that she needs that security? Not the fat paycheck. That's not what we're talking about. Not the grand house. That would, that's, no, I'm not talking about the three car garage. No, that's not what we're talking about. Like, respect is man's mega need. He married a wife, not a mom. He has one already. The reason a man gets big and bad is because he needs respect. A need to be honored, a need to be a leader. Just God just put that in us as men, women. Like I'm, I'm encouraging us today, like women. Like, like can, I, can I talk to y'all for a second? It's the tone. It's the tone of voice. It's not about what you say to him, it's how you say it. Come on, man. You're like, oh, I, sh I shouldn't say anything right now. I just, pastor, I got to go back home and I need peace. I, I was actually sitting across a counseling session from somebody and, and the man literally just got tired and said, man, if a man talked to me the way you are, we're going to go to blows. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's just calm down for a second over here. We're not going to blows right now. Like when you start talking down, we shut down. Like, like men, can I talk to you for back, back for a second? Like, like talk is cheap. Do things to show that you love her. Like Sonia would always tell me that. Like you could tell me you love me all you want, but show me that you love me. First Corinthians 13, Paul has this big lecture that he gives us. He says, love is kind. Love is this. Love is, does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. And, and, and all these things that Paul talks about, love is not a noun. It's a verb. Eric and I were talking about this just yesterday. Love is an action word. It's about what you do. Women, encourage your man. Encourage your husband. Like 90% of men thrive on verbal affirmation. Like we will thrive on one comment for the rest of the week. That's all we need. I remember the other day, I, I preached a sermon. Sonia doesn't get to sit in sometimes. She has to go to seek it sometimes. And, and she, she, she listened to a message the other day that I preached. And I went back home and she gave me a slap on the butt. And I was like, okay. She's like, good job today, baby. And I was like... My head was up for the rest of the week, y'all. <laughs> Men, don't try the, the slapping thing with a wife. You never know, like, on what day, you know, what you're going to get. So let, we're, we're okay with it. We don't care, you know. Y'all still with me? We just need not a pat on the back. We need a pat, we need a pat on the butt, okay? So how, how do we bite the bait? One, convince, like the enemy convinces us to reach for things we don't need. Second thing, it convinces us to compare. It convinces us to compare. Here's the thing about comparison. Like, like you know kids? How many of y'all have kids? A lot of y'all have kids. Like kids, if you have more than one kid, like you have to make sure that you get them the same thing. Like, I don't know if you know this, but... 
Like you save a lot of drama and a lot of issues. If you don't have kids, listen up. Like when you get them something, get them the same color. I know it's boring. Get them the same shape. It, it, it does not matter. Like our kids fight about the color of gummy, like vitamin gummies that they eat every night. She got yellow. No, I got blueberry. I want the same thing. It, they just want the same thing all the time. I call it the not fair syndrome. If I don't get the same thing, it's not fair, dada. And a lot of kids suffer from the not fair syndrome. We want what's on the magazine cover, or what's on the internet that we see, or what's on TV. We want to watch all these people, and we want to be like them. Every wife wants a Chip Gaines, and every husband wants a Joanna Gaines. If you don't write that cookbook and make us a million dollars, and if you're not a celebrity by this time, man, I don't love you anymore. Why can't you be like that? And I'm convinced that the enemy's number one distraction is comparison. After all, that's why God kicked him out of heaven. But 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 tells us this. Comparison is counter to wisdom. Comparison will blur out the clarity of God's call on your life. And I want to encourage somebody today about that. And we wonder why relationships break down. Like it's like stuff is always going to be there. Some of us, we just want stuff. We want a bigger house. We want a bigger car. We want to get an RV. I need to get a boat. I need to get my kids in that school. I need another job. And we're wondering why everything is breaking down around us. Your kids don't need a bigger house. They just need a dad that is present in the house. They don't need another car. They just needed to take them to McDonald's or to the park in the car that you already have. They just need you to bring them to church every Sunday in the car that you already have. I'm stepping on some toes today. You don't need another job. You wonder why no one's giving you a job because you haven't been able to keep that job for more than 12 months. You don't need that fruit, Eve. Oh no, I want to be like God. You're already like God, you watermelon. Like who do you think you are? Like God created you. I'm sorry, that's the way pastors cuss. Uh, you know... He, Well, guess what? Now you ate the fruit. Now you're no longer like him. The enemy got exactly what he wanted. But I don't get flowers from my husband, Pastor. Oh, that's a beautiful picture of their family, Pastor. I've been asking my husband to take a picture of us for like years, Pastor. You have no idea how they threatened their kids to smile in that picture, y'all. <laughs> you have no idea. They spent $500 on matching clothes. You have no idea. This place got quiet. Please don't stop sending your cards to us. We love your cards, okay? <laughs> but stop falling for the comparison trap. Stop, like, like, stop comparing. Like, if the grass is greener on the other side, learn to water and fertilize your own grass. Be okay with what we have. Submit to one another. Submit to one another. Like, men know that submission is just in the Bible somewhere. Oh, woman, you submit to me. But it doesn't start with Ephesians, verse 20, Ephesians 5, 22. It starts with verse 21, where the Bible says, Submit to one another if you have reverence for Christ. Ooh. And then it says, Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as, the, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is a savior. And now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Verse 25, husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
And this was one of the biggest things I took for conference this year, and, and some of y'all were there. The, 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 the preacher that was, was talking about this, I think it was um, the, the first guy, Ryan Leak, he talked about this, and he said, you know, submission is the posture of being on somebody's knees. That's the posture of submission. But he says the husband has another posture. He has the being on the knees as well as laying down. He lays down his life for his wife is what the Bible says. That's superior. So man, don't just, you know, just go to, oh, I'm the, the big person, ah, my way or the no way. No, no, no. This verse is revolutionary. Like women were all the way at the bottom and Paul is uplifting them and saying, no, 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 no. That's not the way Christ wants it. In a healthy marriage, you look for ways to go low. Submit, it means go low. You need a submarine, it goes under. But it gives you the ability to function in a place that is unreachable, in places that where you can't go. But submitting to the mission of marriage is so important because marriage and your spouse takes first place. Root selfishness out. You're not fighting with one another for what is yours. You're not here to win. Like I used to, when we were married first, I would get really upset with Sonia and I would look at her and say, there's no winning with you. And the Holy Spirit had to talk to me and say, man, if I'm winning, I'm losing. Like, if, like that's, it's not about me winning. If I'm focused on winning every single time, I'm losing. Because this is an us thing. Like we submit to each other's feelings. If I'm winning, we both are losing. Am I talking to somebody? This is not a winning or a losing game. Some of us, when your spouse tells you how they feel, stop, like, like, stop going back at them with how you feel. Can we just listen? You know, when you said that, I felt, yeah, I just feel like you just... Oh, you forgot to take the trash out. Oh, but you forgot our anniversary eight years ago. Bro, we went from like... <laughs> we went from trash to anniversary eight years ago. Like men and women, we communicate differently. We know that, right? Like y'all, when, when you ask us how our day is going or how our day was, we'll just say good or eh. All right. Women, y'all talk more. Y'all tell us about your entire day, and we have no problems with it. But sometimes us men will talk. And ladies, when your man talks or when your husband is courageous enough to talk, listen. It seldom happens. If we get the courage to talk to you, you got to listen. Because every time you punish your spouse for being honest, you're teaching them to be silent. I'm going to say that again. If and when they talk and you punish them for what they say or you judge them for what they say, you are teaching them that honesty is bad. If my honesty is a doorway to fight, I'll stop being honest. A silent marriage is a cold marriage. A cold marriage is a dying marriage. And today I pray that we will surrender to one another. Some of us need to be content. Quit comparing our wives or husbands to one another. Be grateful for what we have. Some of us need to be grateful that you have a wife. Like, come on. Like, look at us. 
we're hairy, smelly, and gassy. And they still love us. I told you we're going to be honest and raw here. And they still love us. Be grateful for your job. Be content. There's so many people that just want to eat. Am I talking to somebody? So many of us are unhappy because we have these unrealistic expectations of one another from our children, from our bosses, from our jobs, from our churches, from our pastors, from our community. Like, listen to what Paul says. Paul says in Philippians 4.11, he says, not that, I ever need, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's a full stomach or an empty stomach, with plenty or little. Can I let you in on something? The greatest gift that you can give your child or your children is to teach them how to be content. Like Sonny and I are spending copious amount of times, like copious amount of time in teaching our kids to be okay with what they have. That's what we're focusing on in this season. That's all. It's one of our goals is to just teach them to be okay. We, they still struggle with it, but be okay with what you have. Stop wanting things you don't need. Because guess what? The people that have more than you are going to be super accountable on Judgment Day. I thank God that I'm not a millionaire. Talent and wealth creates responsibility. And I wouldn't know what to do with all that money. And I am thankful. You will not be held for held responsible for 10 talents when God has only given you two. Stop reaching out for the eight more. Be faithful to what God has given you. Because this is what he ends with. Verse 13. This is the most misunderstood verse. He says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. In the context of what he has just said, I don't think you understand this. This is not Steph Curry writing it on his shoes and everybody thinks it's a fashion statement and I'm going to print it on my shirt. Oh, when tough times come around, I can do all things. Through. No, 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 that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about being content. He's saying be okay with what you have. And then he says, when I'm okay with... This will change your life. He's saying, and then I know that I can do all things because it's not me. It's the Christ in me. Would you stand up to your feet? Like, I don't know who you're in a race with today. For so many of us, man, can, like, comparison leads to discontent. Like, when you have everything, or when you have this, this mindset of Paul, it's a man, I, I don't have anything to compare myself to. I'm content. Verse 6 says, so she took some of the fruits and she ate it. The last thing on how easy it is when to, to bite that bait, one is convinces us, and the enemy convinces us to reach for things we don't need. The enemy convinces us to compare. And the third one is the, the enemy convinces us that we're not guilty. Not my fault. It's not me. That's what Eve said. Said, not my fault. You like like looks at looks at Adam. God's like, Adam, what happened, man? Not my fault. You gave me the woman. You made her naked. You 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 told me to she told me to eat. Not my fault. 
Verse 13, and the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The woman says, it wasn't me. I was just sitting here minding my own business. It was a crafty snake. Why did you have to make him so attractive and convincing and deceiving? Like, let's stop blaming everybody else and everything else for our mess. Adam was like, man, I was alone here and everything was good. I was a my lazy boy. It was not my idea. You said it was not good for me to be alone. I was just fine. It was me, the hippo, the tiger, and the sloth. But then you gave me this woman that I said yes to. <laughs> but asking for forgiveness and saying my bad is just such a lost art nowadays. You know how many things can be healed when somebody can just step up and say I'm sorry. My bad. In Job 1.22, the Bible says, In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. And they were just so caught up in blaming one another, the perpetrator, the husband, the wife, all three of them were cursed. All of them. Can I tell somebody, you don't have to be wrong to repent. You don't have to be in the wrong to say sorry. It will change your marriage when you understand this. The Bible says Jesus became guilty. He took on something that he was not. That's being Christ-like. He became guilty. Not because he was, Prince. He became. He took it on. They said, here, this is who you are. And he humbly took it on. Why? Because his mission was the biggest thing that was on his mind. Your mission is your marriage. Sometimes we got to heat the humble pie. we got to take the L sometimes. So, so many of us are willing to sacrifice our marriage to be right. I remember when Michaela was, Michaela was three. We were starting potty training with her. Anybody that's been through potty training with their kids know exactly what I'm talking about. And, you know, it's a, it's a hard thing, man. You go through that cycle with them. And, uh, and I remember that, uh, you know, we were, we were doing the, the pull-ups and, you know, we were taking her to the bathroom, like, we're being very punctual about it every 10 minutes, every 10 minutes. We're like, all right, let's go sit in the, in the potty. And, oh, Dad, there's nothing coming. Okay, let's go. And then 10 minutes again. I go. Then out of nowhere, I'm like, what is that smell? Like, bro, like, we were, like, two minutes ago, we were on the potty. Like, I smell something. So, of course, I do the dad thing, and I'm like, come here. And you got to do the index finger check where you have to like turn them around, pull the diaper out, and you're hit with a, whoo! You're like, Mickey, what is this? I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? I was like, what is this? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, Mickey, you pooped? I don't know. I was like, Mickey, if you, did you, like, like, if you didn't do this, then who did it? She blamed our dog. She was like, Zoe. I was like, really? Can I tell somebody this? Some of us need to grow up and own, own, like, own up to your own poop. It's so important. That's the best way I can put it. It's the Christian pastoral way to put it. Stand up and say, I got stuff to deal with. 
I got I to deal with these issues that I'm going through and stop blaming this person and this person and this person. I will tell you your relationships will improve. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.